beauty isn't real. It's about perspective. It's about how we feel. And I think that feeling is probably more important than how we look. You know, don't define beauty based upon an aesthetic. Judge it and base it upon a feeling. And if it makes you feel good and gives you confidence, that's beauty. Hello, beauty. Yes, you. Join me, host Joyce Platon, as I chat with today's beauty, wellness, and lifestyle visionaries. Let's discover their motivating journey together as I merge my love for the art and my passion in revealing one's true inner beauty. Hey there, welcome back to Hello Beauty. I'm your host, Joyce Platon, and today's special guest is Fessel Qureshi. Fessel is the founder and creative director of RainCry. RainCry is a luxury beauty and hair care brand offering hair styling brushes from France and Italy. Welcome to Hello Beauty, Fessel. Hi, Joyce. How are you? Good to see you again. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed your event yesterday. It was so beautiful. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. Yeah, and I learned so much about your <laughs> brand, and I can't wait to share that with my listeners. Well, thank you. Yeah. So talk to me about that moment when you had that big break as a professional hairstylist. Um, that actually, you know, the whole process of becoming a hairstylist was, was completely foreign to me. I, I never took any lessons. I never went to school. I kind of fell into the industry strictly by accident. And I think um, I was more attracted to the family that you get working in a salon. Um, you know, I actually was, was planning on becoming a, hair, a pilot. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember one day I, I was as I said, working as a hairstylist and or not a hairstylist at that time, rather as an assistant, really just starting by getting coffee and sweeping floors. Um, but, you know, very quickly, I, I started to get that bug that uh, some of us do. And I remember I was studying for an exam. And um, is it the pilot exam? As it, a pilot? it actually yeah. was. Yeah, it, it wasn't too far off. Um, but, you know, it, it was something that um, as, as a kid, I was always attracted to not only arts and creativity, but also that science. And I remember having to cram and looking up at the clock and, you know, it was middle of the morning at this point in time. And rather than studying, I was sketching all these, these crazy haircuts and everything else. And I kind of said, yeah, you know what, this, this is really what I, I think I should be doing. And I kind of, at that point in time, dropped out of college. Mm -hmm. um, it was interesting though, because as a stylist, um, you know, my early times, because I didn't have any formal training, I, I took a lot of mapping that I learned from aviation. And to me, you know, hair and cutting in particular was really just about mapping the head. Um, so you have these angles and these vectors, and then you have that creativity and, and different textures and all that kind of stuff that came along with it. Um, and fast forwarding to your question, I think it was probably a couple of years and I got a, a job at this point in time. I had a lot of friends in the fashion industry and, and quickly started doing work within the fashion industry. Um, and I was working at this really high-end salon, probably one of the best in the country at the time. And this gentleman came around, and uh, I'm doing a client. And, you know, that, that space, that time is, is a bit sacrilegious, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, nobody has to or should be in your way when you're, uh, when you're working with your client. And here he is, and he's just peppering me with questions. Why are you doing that for? And, you know, what's this for? And, you know, you're taking a twist and a turn and, and, and what is that supposed to do? And, and, and I finally got a little bit frustrated and I looked at him and I said, right, you know, this is my time right now. If you have questions, please go to the front book an appointment. But right now, please let me finish. Right. And he said, okay. And he nodded his head and he walked away. And, uh, I went to the front desk, uh, after I finished the client and I'm like, who the hell is that guy? And uh, they said, he's actually the president of one of the biggest hair companies in, in the world. And uh, he wants you to start doing shows for them. Oh. And I was like, okay, right. Um, he's been studying you. Well, I, <laughs> I think, you know, it, I think the approach to hair, and um, we we're talking a little bit off camera, uh, about beauty and, and how you just have to pursue the look. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time it was a little bit unorthodox um, because I was doing what needed to be done to get the look, mm. regardless of how. I mean, to me, how it never mattered. You know what I mean? It, it didn't That's matter. That's a professional way to go. Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah, just, just you know, just do what you're told. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, and execute and, it. And, and think outside of the box and mm -hmm. don't hold yourself accountable to just uh, a formula, but rather mm -hmm. sit back and, you know, hold yourself accountable to a look. And then applying all this sort of these curves that happen in mapping and, 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 you know, applying that to hair and textures and 
um, that's really where I started doing shows, hair shows. And uh, at the time, I think I was one of the youngest uh, on stage, but uh, things just quickly started to move from there. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I know hair shows have like such this vibe, like when you're on stage, it's, it's pretty crazy. It was a different time. I mean, we're talking now uh, going back. So I've been doing it for almost uh, actually it's three decades. I've been in the industry this year and we're going back to the 95 or so. And, and that was sort of a bit of a golden age for hairstyling because it was all about sort of breaking down boundaries. So, you know, previous to that, you had your roller sets and you put them in and, you know, that was the end of, of hair type of thing. It was very formula driven. And, you know, at the time we had some great artists and, and they were all about sort of almost this anti-culture, yeah. um, you know, didn't matter how you did it. It's just, you know, do it type of thing. Um, there wasn't really a lot of formula. There was a lot of deconstruction. Um, we just moved out of that sort of Sassoon era, who's a brilliant hairstylist as well. Mm -hmm obviously offered a lot but then you had a little bit of the, the this british invasion of uh you know textures yeah. and and those sort of things and and it was a really exciting time so i think part of that was just being at the right place at the right time and then you know sort of doing things that wasn't quite status quo yeah um and that made it very show worthy yeah that's so exciting yeah with your three decades of experience <laughs> right. as a professional hairstylist and a salon owner, did right. you experience any hurdles and how did oh, you overcome yeah. that? I, I mean, you know, on a very personal level, um, you know, I, I think for me, it, it was, it wasn't the glitz or the glam. Um, I was a shy kid. It's still something I, I, I really struggle with at times. Um, you know, I, I felt comfortable on stage and had no problems talking. But, you know, at the same time, I think uh, what really attracted me to the industry was sort of trying to figure out myself. Um, and, you know, working with people, um, you, you start to realize that we're all more similar than we are different. And, you know, trying to figure yourself out, I think that had to do with just identity issues. And, you know, in the hair salon world, um, you know, you, you are very much a family, and it was something that I needed at that time. Um, but there was this beautiful, unconditional acceptance, you know, when you work in a hair salon. We were all a little bit misfits and all a little bit broken. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of it was, was because of our names or our color of our skin or, you know, if you're gay or, you know, it, it really didn't matter. But when you were working in a salon, you were, you were just your family, and there wasn't that judgment. Um, and so, you know, I think I, I just mentioned the story about how when my career really started to move, um, you know, I think what started happening at that point in time is my world started to change and yet I really hadn't. Mm. And so suddenly now, you know, um, that quickly morphed into editorial work and, and, and uh, work in the music industry and television, and, you know, all these different things. And you're going to all the right parties and wearing all the right things. And, <laughs> you know, and I think this is really the danger um, with a lot of people in the beauty industry or just many industries is when you start to allow your ego to get ahead of you That's and you true. really start to believe your own hype. Um, and it probably took me a few years to really figure out that, you know, who I, I think as a stylist, you become really good when you're on the floor putting on masks, mm -hmm. right? So you kind of create a bit of an alter ego. Yeah, it's like a show because you're putting absolutely. on a show. You're yeah. on stage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I think for me, what I realized was I stopped taking off that mask when I left the salon. Mm. You forget that your job is a job and that you should, you, you should separate right. your job with your personal life. And you start to really morph into that mm -hmm. alter ego almost. And um you know, I think that was the big danger. And, um, you know, for me, it was a, during a time where I said, you know, kind of right, you know, I've lo kind of lost sight of why I got into this whole industry. And, and why I got into it was not for the glitz or the glam. It was really about helping people. Um, you know, your incredible love for other people. And um, I kind of said, right, I'm going to take some time to, to really figure this out and, and figure out who I am. And that sort of led me to like this next part of this journey in this industry um you know it's something that I, I think if there is a danger the danger to the industry is a believing your own hype and and b um getting too attracted to all the sizzle you know um i've always said that whether i'm a hairstylist makeup artist or creative director we're not in the beauty business 
who are in the business of helping people feel better about themselves. Mm -hmm. How we do that is through the products or services that we provide. But you really haven't done your job until people feel better about themselves. That's so true. I know it's very therapeutic, even me as a makeup artist. Right. I yeah. love it. It's like I own, I really don't mind the hard work, the backbreaking no. work, but it's like once little, you know, good feedback from your client that they say, oh my God, I can't believe you made me look like this. Just like boost their confidence. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's like means the world to me. It, it really is a <laughs> thankless job mm-hmm. though. You know what I mean? It, you might be lucky enough to get a tip, um, <laughs> but you know, regardless, and as a makeup artist, you could probably relate, it, it doesn't matter what's happening in Joyce's life or Fessel's life. That's you know, true. Your, your pet cat could have got run over this morning. It doesn't matter. When you're on that floor, when you're giving your art to somebody, um, it really comes down to, well, how are you going to make me look? And I don't care about your your life. I'm here paying you know, money to be in your mm-hmm. chair, so do what you need to do. So you have to almost put yourself and your own needs aside for other people. So, you know, you don't really get the thanks, I think, that we in the industry sometimes deserve. Absolutely. Um, but our thanks comes in different ways. And I think if you task yourself to, you know, this industry in particular, you really have to have a cause. Um, because if you task yourself to just applying makeup or doing hair or, you know, going to the right party or show, um, it becomes pretty, pretty boring pretty quickly. Um, and so, you know, it, it's got to be something more. And that, that for those that I feel really do well in the industry it's usually about just giving to other people giving your art or your creativity to other people and that has got to be enough for you it's like the service industry yeah absolutely it's like for the love of just making people happy making them feel yeah. comfortable no That's absolutely and and i mean with that you you develop these great relationships and i think you know now that i haven't been in the salon quite as much that's really what you're missing mm-hmm. um because you do get to a point where you know, there's that trust that people put into you. That's true. Um, and it's not only a trust to make them look better and, and, and do what it is that you're supposed to be doing, but also that trust in terms of that being that confidant, being that person, you know, and really in today's world, I mean, let's go back several decades. I mean, you used to have Bob the butcher and you used to have the baker and everybody sort of knew your name at the bank. But, you know, in today's world, there really isn't a lot of those safe places anymore where people can kind of interact with a a larger social collective. I mean, we in the beauty industry are sort of one of the last kind of standing out there where people still kind of, it's okay to open up to a perfect stranger or or one of the few places mm-hmm. where, you know, a client might walk in somewhere and they'll be like, hey, Joyce, how are you? You know, yeah. they know who you are. So I, I think it, you know, it it is changing. Um, yeah, once they sit down in your chair, they just like, oh, yeah. like I mean, no barriers. That means that's full trust. all kinds <laughs> there. Choice. I mean, I could, yeah, I mean, uh, but I, again, you, you never really kiss and tell. I mean, mm, that's I, I true. Think, I mean, even to this day, I don't really talk too much about the celebrities that I've worked with or the shows um, because, you know, they're kind of like friends, right? Yeah. And And I don't know, I, I've been very, very fortunate, especially I think after that time when I kind of, figured out and re-centered myself, I was kind of like, well, you know, what's this all about? And if it is about people, then I'm not going to objectify, right? I'm going to sit back and kind of say, right, you know, this, uh, this celebrity happens to be a celebrity, but really I don't see that. I see just a person. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's something that I think it's really important, I think, uh, in this industry as well, to stay grounded and, and to not get caught up in the titles and the the, the oh, roles yeah. or the jobs or the these parties. These are just or... man-made titles. Right. You know, all these things yeah. that we just like put something on a pedestal. Sometimes at the end of the day, it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't mean anything, no. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. And for those celebrities, actually, they appreciate it that they get a break from all these, you know, coddling. They're like, yeah, okay, I just need no, a real person that yeah. can just, you know, be themselves around me. You know, I'm just yeah. a normal person like anyone. And that's I think what that's, they crave that's for. something that, um, you know, as a hairstylist as well, you get, you just see hair, right? Mm-hmm. Or a makeup artist, you just see skin, mm-hmm. you know, a palette or or a canvas rather that you could work off of. Um, it happens to be sitting on this person or that person and this person or that person uh, might be of somebody that some might perceive as being important. But, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. Absolutely. Because we're all the same, right? Yeah. It's it's great in that sense. (laughs) Yeah. Your career has definitely evolved, and now you're a founder and creative director of your own brand. Right. Talk to me about your product line and what sets it apart 
from the rest? Yeah, I mean, I think I never had plans or ambitions to to have a brand. Um, much like most of my career, a lot of it was just accidental, whether it was the encounter at the salon or or how I got into it or, you know, um, it, it's always been a bit serendipitous. And, and I'm only really sometimes reminded when I'm asked to do a bio or, or you know, put together yeah. a list of uh, clientele and I'm, I kind of look at it and go, wow, you know, that guy sounds all right, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, coming back to the, the question, look, it, it was just something that was really started out of, out of a basic need. I mean, it became very, very frustrating to me as a makeup artist. I could go to almost any counter or department store and buy good quality makeup brushes. Mm -hmm. But when it came down to hair brushes, I could not find a good quality hairbrush anywhere. And so I would typically travel to London, London, England, and, and buy my brushes there. And I think it was after my last trip that um, uh, I, I found out that they effectively were getting the same sort of disposable quality brushes that we were. Mm -hmm. um, and if you've never used a good hairbrush, you can't really appreciate its, mm -hmm. its worth. But, you know, on set or even in the salon, give me the, the best tools out there and the worst products and I can still make hair look good. Um, and if you flip that, uh, it becomes very, very difficult if you're not using good tools. So um, I ended up developing a friendship uh, with a gentleman. Uh, he ended up retiring, and um, he came from France. And, um, you know, great guy. He, he was just not your, your typical sales person in the industry that are usually quite flashy and over the top. He was, he was just uh, very real. And um, sadly, I think a lot of stylists or salon owners at the time would sort of usher him out and, you know, he didn't fit that profile. But we developed a friend, uh, a friendship rather, and, and uh, he gave me a card. And upon his retirement and after that last trip to London, um, I called up the company and uh, that he used to buy these amazing brushes from. And um, I just said, look, you know, I, I need to have brushes myself and my colleagues. We need good quality brushes. And they said, well, you know, I know the, the brushes you're talking about. Uh, but unfortunately, a couple of years ago, we had a huge fire. And in that fire, we lost all of our plants, all of our molds and everything else. So the good news is we can make these hairbrushes for you. Um, but the bad news is, is that you have to come here and, and help us design them. And I really was not a, I mean, I'm not a brush maker, yeah. but as a hairstylist, I could tell you about performance. I could tell you yeah. what I need. I could tell you about tension. I could tell you about all those sort of things. And so it, it really was these, this, you know, um, accident really and a selfish way to, to replace my own brushes <laughs> that we started creating these prototypes and sent them out to different other hairstylists. They created a new mold just for yeah, you. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. It, and it was amazing the amount mm -hmm. of science and mm -hmm. detail that goes into it, all kinds of stuff that I had no idea about but as i sent them out to different friends to test them you know there's feedback coming back until we got to a point where almost unanimously everybody was saying wow these are the best brushes i've used and hey can you make this style of brush mm -hmm. and um i was more than happy just to have it sort of leave it as as a backstage secret and just have some some friends and it was actually probably about a couple of years unbeknownst to me um a friend of mine had had sent some of those earlier prototypes out to Orbe, oh, and as a stylist, I was a big fan of Orbe, and he was quite young at the time in his brand, and they didn't have brushes. Uh, but I got a call from People Magazine, and they called up and said, "Right, you know, we're doing a story on Jennifer Lopez, and we're interviewing her stylist Orbe, and he's raving about these Rain Cry brushes. You know, can we feature him?" And I was kind of like, "Right, yeah, sure." <laughs> um, but you know, it was at that point in time that I started to think more seriously about brand. Um, but a brand that was really a, a quite a bit different. I mean, we always sort of start with finding a problem and then trying to wrap a, a better solution around it. Um, and so, you know, really wasn't interested in just sort of filling the status quo, uh, wasn't trying to be predictable. Um, you know, as much as this may sound crazy, I mean, look, I, I asked me about how to cure the, the, the climate problem and I wouldn't have a clue but I'm really confident when it comes down to hair and so you know it was about really building out products that we now as a team feel as though there's a miss um, we could be doing something better and frankly speaking just building out products that you know people like for the same reasons why I think we like them and it actually performs and it does what performance, it does. Performance, yeah, absolutely. I mean, performance is really the hallmark. Mm -hmm. Performance and quality 
is really the hallmark of the brand. I mean, I'm not interested. I, I think we were asked to many times to come in, up with different types of products. And, um, you know, if somebody else is out there doing it really well, then, you know, good for them, not yeah. interested. <laughs> um, but for those products that we felt like there's a, there's a gap, I mean, they got to perform. And I think nowadays the average consumer, especially in, in hair, doesn't care. You know, they don't care about the 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 special ingredients that you have. They don't care about, you know, what the product features are. What they're really after is um, does it work? You know, I think we all sort of suffer a little bit from what I like to call the Emperor's New Clothes yeah. syndrome, right? If you imagine the Emperor after he got swindled, what he was like, well, that's the average beauty consumer. Mm -hmm. So I think if the product doesn't work, you got to get it to their home. Um, and only once they experience it and it works, do they become interested in why? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. So, yes. Yeah. So from that perspective, um, it's it's all been a bit of an evolution, mm -hmm. right? And not really something I was kind of ticking the boxes and saying, okay, right, we're going to launch this, and we're going to yeah. launch that, um, or like, oh, I I want to be a founder, you know? Yeah. None no, of those. No, absolutely. <laughs> I still wrestle with that whole idea of a founder, and I'm kind of looking over my shoulder, going, mm -hmm. well, "What are they talking about?" You know? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's it's a lot of fun, and uh, I think now I am having a lot of fun doing it. It's sort of applying all those years of experience and really what you know about textures. Um, having been fortunate enough to work on uh, behind the scenes with a lot of major companies as a retail um, advisor and, and testing out new products for all these big companies, you know, I've always sort of felt as though, yeah, you know, you're missing the mark. I could tell somebody who doesn't know hair created this because there's a miss here. And so just taking a step back and saying, right, look, let's look at hair and really understand its properties or just really understand its, its um, you know, it's different textures and, yeah. and really not focus on symptomatic resolution, but rather focus on problem resolution and, and address those. And Yeah, what's know. the root cause of right. all these problems? Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's sort of like we in the hair industry aren't as savvy as skin. You know, skin will talk about, say, for example, pimples. And, mm -hmm. you know, you could treat the pimple, but really to, to, to stop the pimples from happening, you, you got to talk about oily skin or hormonal imbalances mm -hmm. or whatever the case may be. We've got to focus on that before you can treat the, the pimples. And we've gotten into that habit in our industry to really focus on the symptoms not the, the, not the problem yeah i agree i'm interested in the name rain cry what does it mean <laughs> well listen um listen if as a hairstylist makeup artist or creative director i've always said that we're not in the beauty business mm -hmm. right we're in the business of helping people feel better um and i think you know when you start to acknowledge the fact that it's about feeling um you know Feeling is really at the core of the beauty business. And I have a theory myself personally that beauty doesn't exist. <laughs> it's not real. It's all about perspective. And that perspective evolves. It changes um, from person to person and from time to time and place to place. You know, it's, it's really about, well, look at the 80s, for example. Yeah. Right. And even our own taste changes Absolutely. like constantly. You know, you yeah. look at pictures of the 80s or 90s mm -hmm. or whatever era you want to talk, and we all kind of giggle to ourselves, yeah. and we look absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but, you know, at the time, we're, we're confident. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> you start to acknowledge the fact that beauty is not about what we wear, you know, how we dress, what we look like, but really how we feel when we experience, use, or wear those things, mm -hmm. right? It's not about the things we buy. It's, it's about how we feel when we experience those things. And so beauty really then becomes an emotion, right? It's, it's a feeling, an emotion. So for me, that's very much at the root of beauty, you know, and again, that feeling of helping people feel better about themselves. So I really wanted to try to capture an emotional component. Mm. Um, and to me, crying is just such a, great emotion i mean it, it's it's we associate it with in our culture with something being negative but i mean it, it really is a very powerful emotion probably one of the most powerful we have in human existence or our existence it could be crying with laughter crying with pain it, it, it's all over the spectrum yeah, i cry with laughter a lot <laughs> well mo you know what honestly most people do yeah um and you know rain there's something just very smooth uh soothing and and calming um it's of course green and the two of them just sort of work together. It's that emotional component and, and something that's calming and, and soothing. 
Um, you know, it doesn't make sense to a lot of people, and and I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, you know, and and it does. I, I like the idea that it makes people think. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it really for us um, serves as a reminder of what we do, why we do it, and, and what this business should really all be about. Yeah. Right. So Rain Cry was born, and uh, it's a question that I get asked frequently, and. Um, some people get it and other people don't. Yeah, no, I way. totally get it. It's yeah. beautiful. And, I, you. you know, yeah. when you think about Rain Cry with all the analogies that you just presented, it does give you like that calming effect and trust. So it's like it's a good thing to feel when you're in the shower. You want to yeah. feel good when you're in the shower, feel good that you're washing off the day. Right. And that's totally what it is. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really just didn't want anything that was very typical. Right. Um, you know, as I said, it, it's you get to a point, and I think right now what we're after is is you start to appreciate that as a founder or as a brand, not everyone's going to like what you do, um, but you have to take ownership in it. And as a brand and as a founder, you become and your products become almost custodians of people's emotions. Mm-hmm. And so you really have to take ownership over your product's pursuit to success and what you want it to do and, and how you want it to, to do it. Um, and so, again, like I said, Rain Cry is just one of those things where, you know, we, we have a conversation amongst the office and we're like, well, is it on brand? And we're not always talking about the aesthetics, but rather, you know, is it going to do the things that the name means, right? Yes. And during your event, too, you also mentioned that the different shampoo lines that you have within the brand, it has yep. different types of scents. And you're saying not a lot of people can agree to the different scents, but that's the point of it because it does serve a purpose for the, you know, different types of textures. Yeah. And I, I love mean, that. I, I think for us, uh, so we just launched outside of our brushes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually launched about two and a half years ago. Uh, our first retailer was Saks. Um, now, knock on wood, we've been, um, we're, we're mostly the big luxury retailers now. Um, and we started with six SKUs. We're now up to, I think, we're going to be up to 30, actually. Amazing. By, Congratulations. Uh, thank you. It's been fast and furious. <laughs> but I think, you know, again, taking a step back, uh, just this year we've launched four new products. We've gotten into shampoos, conditioners. took us several years. Uh, we work off a of pH balance. That's really important. Um, but, you know, what we really wanted to do was you have different brushes, just like you would have a different makeup brush for different uses. You'd have a different hairbrush for a different mm-hmm. use. Um, and some brushes or styles of brushes, a more bristle brush, for example, is better suited for thicker, coarser hair textures. Um, so then wrapping a line of hair products that identify all the issues associated with that hair texture would make sense. Um, and so we, we effectively launched, you know, a smooth line that complements our smooth brush, a volume line that complements our volume brush, um, an all purpose or all, all hair texture line, um, and each one comes with a shampoo, conditioner, and otherwise. But, you know, I, I think it might not be politically correct, but you can't talk hair texture without talking ethnicity. Of course. And so, you know, when and coming even with up makeup, with, skin tones. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, it's, and I think most of us in the, the beauty industry yeah. don't really see color, right? Yeah, we don't. I mean, you, you identify texture of hair as, mm-hmm. okay, this is just what I'm having to work with. Yes. But certain textures of hair are more indicative in cer- uh, to certain places in the world. So mm-hmm. thicker, coarser hair textures, obviously, Mediterranean, African-American. Um, and, you know, there's certain scents that resonate with that ethnicity, you know, usually like more exotic tones, more what we used to call oriental tones. Um, so, you know, when we were putting together our smooth line that's really designed for that hair texture, um, you know, what sort of scent uh, is going to resonate with with that ethnicity or with that that uh, that type of client, and it's usually going to be something that was in our case we we went with something with amber and oud, still mm-hmm. exotic but still very very pleasant. On the flip side, you know, finer, limper hair textures use like a lighter fragrance. Um, so you know, it's powder and citrus and you know different floral fragrances. So a lot of fun um, putting all that yeah. together. That's so fun. You talked about pH balance and the importance of pH balance and right. treating hair care like skin care. Talk yeah. to me about this. Well, I, I think uh, for me as a stylist, early on in my career, um, I developed a terrible sensitivity or actually it wasn't even a sensitivity. It was an allergy. Um, and I, I, quote unquote, was diagnosed with occupational dermatitis. 
Uh, very fancy word, but uh, it meant that I was actually on hydrocortisone cream. And it didn't take long before I was actually on the highest cortisone cream available by prescription. That's crazy. And it was no longer working. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, despite wearing gloves and everything else, it started obviously with chemicals and then it moved into um, it moved into just all hair care products. So when we we're developing this, and it's not something that um, is unheard of. I mean, a lot of stylists suffer from that, but also just a lot of clients tend to suffer from sensitivities with scalp and everything else. I later found out working with our chemistry team that a lot of that had to do with getting rid of the pH balance in the 90s. I mean, we used to be a pH balance industry, and it makes sense, especially with skincare, but when it came down to hair and uh, scalp, it was something that was taken away. Largely. Why did they take it away? It's just a lot cheaper to oh. produce a, yeah, well, <laughs> I sadly. I thought it was like something bigger. No, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's just a hell of a lot cheaper to okay. produce something that mm. is non-pH balanced. Um, so that's mm. really where we started. And the pH balance is something that is going to impact hair, probably even more so than skin, because mm. it dictates what happens with the cuticle. Um, and so when we were developing it, um, it also gave us a lot more flexibility. Mm. So um, our some people have described our line as being almost like skincare for your hair mm-hmm. um, because the shampoo sort of functions like a cleanser. The conditioner sort of functions like a toner, leaving conditioners more like a moisturizer, but you could be a lot more specific. Um, there isn't, unfortunately, a magic bullet, but you can manipulate hair and you can manipulate different textures or nourish certain textures with what they need based upon ensuring that there is that pH balance. Without a pH balanced shampoo, your cuticle is going to stay open. And mm-hmm. with that being said, that's going to lead to moisture depletion, you know, bond uh, degradation, breakage, uh, like, breakage, yeah. color loss, because you mm. left the door open effectively. Yeah. So uh, we manufacture all of our products to between a four and a half and five and a half pH to make sure that cuticles always closed and the hair maintains the best possible condition it can. Yeah. You talk about um, hair textures. What are the reasons why we experience like a change in hair texture or even like hair loss or even dandruff? So those are about five different beasts that you just asked me to get into. <laughs> I know, you don't know. Um, what are like probably like, I don't know, top three reasons why? Hair loss? And then how can we just, you know, what were your recommendations in improving the health um, of our hair? Yeah. I mean, listen, hair loss, um, I think what you got to identify is a couple of different things. Mm-hmm. On average, let's let's take it from the top. On average, the average human being will lose between 100 to 150 strands a day. Yeah. So that, that's just normal. That's natural. Um, and so naturally, if your hair is longer, you're going to tend to notice it more. You might get a little bit more pinched and worried and think that you're going bald, but that might not be the case. Uh, there are, of course, hormonal changes and, and medical changes. Those are usually the first sort of place I go to when I start seeing hair loss. Um, Things, I mean, in my career, things as simple as, you know, some women changing the brand of their birth control has led to to hair loss. So, you know, the human body, and this is why we place so much emphasis on hair, uh, is because it's an overall indicator of general health. And as we age, um, those different changes in the body, different medication will also play havoc on the hair. What we are noticing now, more so than, than ever before, is, is a more recent phenomenon called female pattern baldness. And that is actually um, what some are attributing to just prolonged and continuous exposure to color, uh, hair colors, because uh, each time that color sometimes is added, some of the ammonia and some of the peroxides will actually create a chemical burn. And through prolonged exposure, that could lead to thinning of the hair. So. There's a number of different reasons why one can experience hair loss, but uh, and then texture, of course. Um, if you have gray hair, that's obviously a different texture, and you know. But typically, yeah. there's it's not always a, an easy, quick magic bullet. Yeah. So there, are, I've actually seen some hair products like those box hair dyes that are ammonia free right. and the more natural side. Would you recommend that more than? I mean, if you if maybe they are already experiencing thinning hair, maybe that's a culprit. You know, prolonged so, color. Yeah. I mean, having done a lot of work for different <laughs> uh, hair care companies, I have to start by saying I'm I'm not a, a chemist. Um, <laughs> I can only speak to really the the practical side mm-hmm. of things. So. You know, if you're looking at at non or, or ammonia free hair colors, um, basically there's there's two different platforms. One platform will actually absorb into the hair; it'll actually go into the center of the hair, and, and you know, in layman terms, it'll, it'll change the color from within. 
The second one, however, works more like a stain. And typically your ammonia-free colors are going to work like a stain. Mm. You sort of sit outside or or coat the hair. Mm -hmm. Um, Some are more stronger than others. Some are better for the hair than others. For example, if you're using henna, that would be considered a, a natural hair color. Um, but it's probably one of the worst things you could put on your hair because uh, once it's on, we cannot yeah. take it out. It's <laughs> it's good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, again, I think this is where you really have to talk to your stylist, your color technician, whether you want to go ammonia free. I'm always one to say, you know, in the right hands and used responsibly, you should be okay using even, you know, especially if you want great coverage. If it's more aesthetic, you could go with ammonia free or what we call semi or demi permanent, sometimes called glosses different names in the industry but um what are the uh the, the keys right now i believe it's called uh ppd uh phenol i forgot what it was i might even have that wrong if i remember rightly but that is something that uh we're starting to see a bit of a, a trend over the last couple of years in the industry of some of the color companies getting rid of that that ingredient because it it has shown to um create quite a bit of havoc in terms of sensitivities, allergies, and and there are some pretty severe allergies to that ingredient. Yeah, that's true. And that's why most people recommend to not get your hair colored when you're pregnant, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember when my wife was pregnant, this was something she is a actually a color technician. Uh, so something that we really looked into. Um, you know, look, uh, calling all the major manufacturers and going you know, having decent sources within them, uh, the companies, there there wasn't any evidence to suggest that they're not, but I always suggest that, you know, at the end of the day, um, listen to what your doctor has to say. If they're saying don't color, then don't color. Um, highlights have always been fine, though, to, to work on pregnant women because it doesn't come into contact with the scalp. Yeah, cool. So you mentioned that you have some tricks on how to <laughs> la- make your blowout last longer. Right. So what what are the reasons why it doesn't last long? And I know your brushes actually help with that. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of leads us to to even like a lot of the R&D. So when we were putting together the volume line, it was really built for somebody with fine limp hair and and you know, those that hair texture typically would complain that the blowouts would not last long. So when you're styling hair, as a stylist, I know this, um, there's a tremendous amount of emphasis placed out there on heat. And what heat does to the hair is it effectively shapes and molds the hair. Um, but it's only one half of the equation, because unless you cool it, you're not going to get that hardening. So think of hair a lot like steel. We've all seen a blacksmith. Um, they heat it up, then they pound it out, it shapes it, it forms it, you could you know, manipulate it. But when they want to set it, they want, when they want it to, to stay, they'll dunk it into water and it cools it down right away. And now it's hardened. Mm-hmm. So you got to be able to heat and cool hair. And that really was, you know, the, the main component of when we're looking at our, our volume styling brushes. We're looking for materials that will heat up very quickly, but also cool down just as quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so really important uh, in today's world whether you're trying to blow dry straight because you have frizzy hair or if you're trying to get volume, um, yeah, you got to heat it up, but also cool it down. Yeah. Is there a proper way of brushing your hair? Like You have to uh, brush your hair 100 <laughs> times before well, you go yeah. to bed. <laughs> you start with a handle. And you, no. um, is there a proper way? You know, if you're looking for just regular maintenance, um, and again, depending upon the thickness of your hair, depending upon your brush itself, um, Look, a, a lot of brushes, uh, like for example, with what we call pneumatic brushes or paddle brushes, they'll have a cushion in them. Uh, if that cushion is very, very stiff, well, then that, of course, is going to tear and break hair, right? Yeah. Um, if it's too soft, you're not going to be able to get the brush through the hair. So I think that really comes down to, again, uh, you know, knowing your tools and, and figuring out, one, your hair texture. you got really thick hair. You're probably going to have to section it. Two, if you got a really stiff cushion, for example, then you're really going to have to um, be careful that you don't break, tear, and rip your hair. Yeah. Um, but generally, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things. I, I think the rather than looking at technique, because we're not talking styling brushes, um, the more important thing is just understanding what type of brush to use when you're brushing your hair. So, you know, we remember previous generations saying to brush your hair 100 times. Yeah. Uh, well, that had uh, a very important function back in the day before there was shampoos and conditioners that used to pick up the oils from your scalp and really condition the rest of your hair. 
But if that's what you want to do, then you do have to use a pure or 100% natural boar bristle brush. Boar bristle in particular is the only only filament that will actually transfer oils. If they have synthetic bristles in them or any other type of bristle, it will not do that. So that's just rendering that whole process a waste of time. Yeah. And, and you useless. said it has, in your products, it's actually brute boar bristles, right? Yeah. So as a stylist, I mean, look, uh, we were originally trying to create a, a round brush for thicker hair textures for that polish and for that, you know, if you have uh, frizzier hair, you want to be able to smooth it out. Plenty of boar bristle brushes out there. What I didn't understand or know as a stylist was that boar bristle is actually 12 inches long. It's then oh, wow. divided up into three parts. Uh, the root is the strongest, best quality portion of the bristle. And then you have the mid shaft and the ends. Mm. Now, most of the brushes available to us are made with the ends of the bristle, which is the softest, cheapest, and weakest part of the bristle. Um, as a result of that, a lot of brushes will blend their brushes with nylon. Oh. to try to stiffen up those bristles. Or they'll use a tremendous amount of bristle density, which means that the hair will either get trapped and snagged and tangled mm. within the brush, or it'll just sort of sit on top of the bristles. But whenever you blend, say, a synthetic bristle and a natural bristle together, the synthetic bristle, nylon, whatever you want to use, uh, will effectively neutralize any benefit of the boar bristle. So a synthetic bristle is designed to remove excess product from the hair. Natural boar bristle, on the other hand, is designed to transfer, right? So yeah. one pulls off, one sort of distributes, mm -hmm. but when you blend them, they kind of cancel each other out. Mm -hmm. So as a stylist, when we were first working on that, that uh, for several prototypes, they asked me, you know, do you want premier sanglier, which is what the French call uh, root boar bristle, and I didn't know anything about it, and, um, you know, that was the stiffest, best quality portion of the bristle. Um, and as a result of that, you don't have to mix it with any type of nylon or, or otherwise. So you get the, the pure benefit of it all. And obviously a brush that can rake its way through any type of hair texture. Yeah, I've tried your brushes. Like I have them here. They're so beautiful. I've Thank noticed like, like what you were saying earlier. When <laughs> I would brush my hair out with other brushes, I was like, it's actually not brushing my hair. You're but right. like the bristles are actually bending. Yeah. And are just sitting on top of my hair while I'm gliding Listen, through my as head. As a stylist, we, yeah, I mean, everything <laughs> yeah. you guys experience, we do too. Mm -hmm. And it has like amazing like artwork at the back. Well, th that was a brush style actually that um, we were in, where were we? I think we were in Zurich or, or Italy at the time. And I was having a, a meeting with a, um, one of the, the other gentlemen in the, in the company. And we're trying to figure out, because I was like, listen, I really want something that's traditional. I want something that looks nice. Um, you know, I don't want a, a standard. And, and I remember the nostalgia associated with uh, a tortoiseshell. Mm -hmm. My grandmother in England used to have these beautiful tortoiseshell brushes that were probably like a million years old. But uh, yeah. they were they used to be that time. Um, obviously didn't want to kill any tortoises mm -hmm. for it. So uh, we do all of our manufacturing, mostly in France for most of our brushes, but also in Italy for our volume line. We're actually the last complete line of European-made styling brushes left in the world. Oh, that's and I great. mean, you know, when I say complete, I mean, we offer a whole assortment. But when we were designing these, I was kind of like, okay, well, we're going to go with tortoiseshell. And they're like, oh, I can't do it. And I'm like, no, you guys can do it. And they're like, no, we can't. And I'm like, and I look, you know, sort of over their shoulder into a back room and I see somebody painting. And I said, well, get him then to start painting every oh single brush. Oh my gosh, everything so, is hand painted. It's all hand painted, that's so yeah. Crazy, yeah. But I think if you're going to go for quality and, mm -hmm. and performance, I mean, it's not just a function of hand painting. Look, we're in the beauty industry. It's got to look nice. It's of course, look we're all of it, yeah. But I mean, at the same time, um, you know, I think this is where we as a brand sit back and kind of say, look, it's all about quality. It's all about performance. Mm -hmm. And so you need to be able to make sure that there is that artistry there. And also from a green perspective. Of I course, mean, yeah. You have brush makers that have been doing it for 150 years. I mean, all that knowledge and expertise um, not interested in creating a brush that's going to fill more landfills, yeah. right? I mean, uh -huh. you want something that is an heirloom. Yeah, like your handbags and right. your shoes. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, that's where a lot of the uh, idea of the dust bag, so every brush comes mm. with a dust bag. Yeah. That was actually from my early days because it used to be absolutely disgusting oh when gosh. you used to sometimes show up on set and there's other 
stylists there that Ooh. have these nasty, gross brushes that oh have hair all over them. So I'm like, uh, you know what? Hygiene yeah. is, what do they say? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah. So, and it's good to have the dust bag if I put it in my purse. It's not ruining, you know, the yeah. brush also along with my other exactly. know, stuff in exactly. the bag. Um, and I, for the benefit of the listeners, I have the brush on my hand and I've used this. It's called the petal brush, right? For that wet one hair. It's called uh, Detangle. Detangle for yeah. wet hair. And I used it out of the shower and it just was gliding through my hair. Nothing was snagging and I absolutely loved it. So highly Thank recommended. You. I'm in love. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I yeah. think, yeah, I mean, what we're trying to do as well is sort of demystify. I mean, um, I remember our first meeting uh, with with one of our retailers and, and we really had to work hard because. You know, hair brushes was white space, and I would sit back and kind of say, well, look, you know, you have makeup brushes that people are buying, and they seem to know. I mean, you wouldn't use a, a blush brush to apply lipstick. No. And yet, you know, the same thing could be said about hair brushes. And so one of their comebacks was, well, you know, how are people supposed to know what brush to use? And I kind of said, well, we'll just kind of name them what they're for, right? Mm-hmm. So a detangle brush would be guess what for detangling yeah you know condition brush would be designed to really condition and smoothing and volume i mean make it as simple as possible yeah. um years ago i remember there's one brand that i was doing work with and they're like okay we're doing this big launch and um <laughs> you know this is a line here and they had shampoos and conditioners and they're like this is a line here that is for sophisticated hair this over here is for that <laughs> and, I, and i at the end i mean i was probably the only one in the room but i sort of said look you know, help me out here because I'm a little bit confused. I don't know what sophisticated hair means. And they're like, oh, that means gray. And I'm like, well, then why don't you just call it for That's gray hair, true. you know? Yeah. But we get to a point in the industry where I think to sound either a little bit more upscale or more <laughs> sophisticated, we uh, we attach these names that really don't make a lot of sense anymore. So I know demystify and just call it what it is. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Speaking of demystifying, what is one thing that you wish that people would stop doing to their hair and do more of? Ooh. um, I think, um, look, I I think uh, part of it, one thing that just actually, uh, there's a whole bunch of things. (laughs) But one thing that sort of comes to mind right now is, you know, a lot of the home care stuff. Every every couple of years as a stylist, there'll be some new trend that'll come out um, and, you know, people will go home and rather than make a salad or a dressing, they'll sort of make a concoction and throw it into their own hair. Um, there are certain components, and I, I say this with experience because uh, with our, our wet lines and, and our shampoos, we, what we've done is we've used a lot of science and ethnobotany. So ethnobotany is really the study of... of plants and, and flower extracts from different cultures around the world um, that have been used for, for millennia. And what we found, which is related to this point, is that, yes, there are several oils that are good for your hair, uh, but there's oftentimes certain things within those oils that aren't. So uh, years ago, olive oil, for example, I mean, everybody was going home and you know getting olive oil and egg yolk and whipping that together and slapping it on their hair as a homemade mask or remedy. Um, People, if you're listening, please don't do that um, because it's not water soluble. So there might be components within each of those that would work, but when combined or sometimes combined in their rawest format, um, aren't really that effective and could lead to a number of other either scalp ailments or or issues with the hair. So, you know, we live in an age now where there's great products. Go to your local salon, you know, spend the money, do it properly because you'll oftentimes experience more or, or could cause more damage doing it yourself at home. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Here at Hello Beauty, we have a philosophy, and it's say hello to the beauty in you. What advice can you give to those who are trying to discover their beauty within? Um, <laughs> well, with my whole preamble earlier on, yeah. beauty doesn't exist. <laughs> um, and I, I think that's something that's really important, though, to keep in mind uh, in today's world. What advice would I have? is exactly that. You know, beauty isn't real. It's about perspective. It's about how we feel. And I think that feeling is probably more important than how we look. You know, don't define beauty based upon an aesthetic. Judge it and base it upon a feeling. And if it makes you feel good and gives you confidence, that's beauty. Yeah, beautiful, 100%. Before I let you go, what is something exciting in store for you and or Rain Cry? Um, 
there's definitely a, a big charitable arm that I I would like to start attaching. We we've I have um, a pretty robust product pipeline. We've got a number of other things that we're working on. We just launched our our repair line. Um, you know that has uh, I think we talked about it yesterday about CBD and and um, plant stem cells, but what is further in line some of our stuff is very centered upon what we feel is out there other stuff for example um in the spring we're actually launching hair fragrances um that was something that was strictly by accident um when we were doing press tours a little while ago i had the the chemistry team put together a couple of scents so people could smell it right that's a big part of it and they could understand what we talked about earlier with fragrances uh, and very quickly, almost everybody was like, oh, my God, these are great. I want to put them out. Can I Can I have this? You know, and I'm like, no, it's not even a hair perfume. <laughs> well, what are you guys going to do hair perfume? And so, yeah. you know, some of where we're going and, and where we've come from is just really putting your ear to the ground, listening to people, um, you know, what, uh, what people are looking for, what they want. Um, other stuff is stuff that we want. Um, so really long preamble to your question. But the truth is, is that where are we going now? Um, on a product side of things, there is some direction we have, you know, as I said, the fragrance is coming out, uh, but there's also a big part of this where I want to keep a big mystery, right? I want to kind of, you know, keep looking around and, uh, hearing from people and, you know, hearing from other people that are like, can you do this or can you do that? And yeah, I think we can and let's give it a shot. As far as a brand goes, there's definitely a lot more that I want to end up doing with the brand itself and, and certainly in terms of uh, a charitable arm, if we are about mm-hmm. people, uh, I think it's really, really important to, to look at helping people, um, you know, and, and look at different causes that do exactly that. So that's really important to me and, and where I really want to take the brand. It really, frankly speaking, what gets me up in the morning. Oh, nice. Know, so. Yeah. What are your social channels and where can they find you and learn more about Rain Cry? Um, you could find us at uh, hashtag Rain Cry Beauty or at Rain Cry Beauty uh, or raincry.com. Uh, and then uh, in terms of real life, um, I think uh, we've, we're right now available in Saks, Neiman Marcus, Bloomingdale's, Nordstrom, um, Space and K, Net a Porte, mm. most of the luxury retailers. So you could go by there and smell us. Yeah. Check us out and see what you think. Amazing. Thank you so much, Pesla, so for much, joining us today. I had, I had such you. a great time talking with you. You as well. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye-bye.